this is Roly Crump. I'm an Imagineer, and you're listening to Stories of the Magic. Welcome to Stories of the Magic, an unofficial Disney podcast with your host, Randy Crane. Hear stories from Disney cast members, Imagineers, artists, and more right here on Stories of the Magic. And now, here's your host, Randy Crane. Welcome to Episode 69 of Stories of the Magic. I'm Randy, your host. Thank you for joining me. Sometimes it takes a while to schedule an interview, but they're always worth it, and today's is no exception. If you listened to Episodes 58 and 59, you heard my interview with Rolly Crump, and in it we talked about Jeff Heimbuck, who worked with Rolly on writing his autobiography. It's kind of a cute story. Well, now we have Jeff on the show. We talk about him meeting and working with Raleigh, as well as his own new book, Main Street Windows, A Complete Guide to Disney's Whimsical Tributes. We recorded this one live at Disneyland, so you've got some nice background sounds. Unfortunately, we didn't get quite close enough to area music, so it's mainly crowd noise. But every now and then you'll hear screams from the Matterhorn, or hear the monorail passing overhead, or even the Disneyland Railroad in the distance. We have some clicking in the episode, too, and I hadn't expected that. I can't edit it out, though, so sorry about that. We did have to stop recording a couple of times as fans of Jeff saw us and came over to say hello and take a picture, which was cool. Other than those pauses, though, what you'll hear is the real-time sounds of the park and the interview. Enjoy. Before we get to the interview, I'd like to take a minute to thank our sponsor, Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider in spoken word entertainment. Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial for my listeners to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Choose from titles like my book, Faith and the Magic Kingdom. You can pick that one or any of the other 150,000-plus audiobooks as your free trial book, and it is yours to keep whether you choose to continue your membership or not. To download your free audiobook today, go to storiesofthemagic.com audible. Again, that's storiesofthemagic.com slash audible for your free audiobook. In this episode, Jeff talks about Animal Kingdom is a full-day park, how his love of Disney evolved from where it started to today, going from being a fan of Rolly to co-authoring his autobiography and becoming like family, when they made the conscious decision to write the book the way they did, whether there are any other Disney celebrities that he still has that superfan reaction to when he meets them, Meeting Diane Disney Miller and her husband, Ron Miller. What still surprises Rolly about fans? Whether Jeff was surprised by anything when he met and was getting to know Rolly. An overview and some great information about Rolly's autobiography. It's kind of a cute story. How the More Cute Stories CDs came about. The Secret Files. A peek at the More Cute Stories CDs and a sneak peek at what's to come for them. What impact working with Rolly on his book had on Jeff when it came to working on his own book? Why he decided to write Main Street Windows and how he went about doing it? Some unexpected tribute windows he learned about while writing the book. And the accuracy of the book. How much effort he put into it and how he still got stymied on it. Now, a brief word from a fellow podcaster and friend, and then it's time to turn the page and begin this story. My name is Al. And I'm Joyce. And we're, we're huge, huge Disneyland, Disneyland fans. In fact, we love the Disneyland Resort so much, we host a podcast dedicated to the happiest place on earth to share that passion with others. That's right. On our show, Tales from the Mouse House Disneyland Podcast, we share current resort news, some tips and tricks we've learned over the years to help make your Disneyland Resort vacation the most magical experience ever. We uncover little-known and often overlooked gems we like to call hidden treasures and even review the attractions and places to eat that make the Disneyland Resort so much fun. And if that wasn't enough, we even share some video episodes to help keep you in that Disney magic state of mind. If you're a longtime fan of the Disneyland Resort or you've just recently discovered the magic, this podcast is for you. You can find Tales from the Mouse House Disneyland Podcast at www. Talescast.com and in iTunes. And remember, make, make it, it a Mickey, Mickey Day. day. 
And now, this week's interview on Stories of the Magic. Jeff Heimbach is a recent transplant to California, where he currently lives 20 minutes from Disneyland. So do I, by the way. (laughs) But not with him. Uh, Since the first time he stepped foot in the Magic Kingdom at age four, Jeff couldn't get enough. When he was old enough to finally understand how the magic happened, he fell in love even more. For years, Jeff has written on various Disney topics for a variety of publications, including several fan sites and magazines. Perhaps best known to you as a Stories of the Magic listener, he co-authored Rolly Crump's autobiography, It's Kind of a Cute Story. Since then, he's released his own book, Main Street Windows, A Complete Guide to Disney's Whimsical Tributes. If you've always wondered about the, those names in the windows in Magic Kingdom-style parks, you need this book. And if you've never noticed them, you need this book now. Or at least as soon as the podcast is over. <laughs> Not get ahead of ourselves. Jeff also co-hosts the popular theme park podcast, Communicore Weekly, which you can find on iTunes. And the real reason he's on the show, like me, he thinks Animal Kingdom is a full-day park. Yes! Jeff, welcome to Stories of the Magic. Thank you for having me. I'm glad you brought up the Animal Kingdom, because, man, do so many people give me stuff about that. (laughs) I love Animal Kingdom. So do I. I think it's great. I can totally spend an entire day there just wandering around, you know, not really going on rides. The Maharaja Jungle Trek, in my opinion, is probably one of the most relaxing places in the entirety of the Walt Disney World Resort. Oh, absolutely. It's it's wonderful. Monorail! (laughs) And we're right under the track, so we have no idea what color it is. <laughs> we'll see it when it comes around yeah. later. For those who are trying to place exactly where we are, we're kind of directly across from the Matterhorn, right under the monorail track, uh, sort of by the face painting. So, We're going to do that afterward. Right. <laughs> Don't look for that in the show notes. <laughs> uh, so, first things first, besides the Animal Kingdom, which we may come back to. Um, I interviewed Disney legend and former Imagineer Rolly Crump in episodes 58 and 59, and it was because of you that I got to do that, so mm-hmm. thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> I hope he was an interesting interview. He always is. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he could not be a feature audience. Yes, that is true. It's just naturally in his personality to come across the way he comes across. He's awesome. <laughs> yeah, he really is. So... Um, now, I mentioned in the intro your love for Disney and how it developed and everything, but tell me a little bit more. Kind of walk me through how that went from four years old, really cool, to here. Uh, <laughs> so, my very first trip to was to Walt Disney World when I was four, and I went with my grandmother and my mom. And Jeff, my mom? Oh, we have a fan. Hi, how are you? <laughs> okay, um, I forgot what I was saying. Oh, okay, so... <laughs> The first time it was Walt Disney World with my mom and my grandmother when I was four years old. And obviously I had never seen anything like that before. And I completely and totally, like, fell in love with the entire thing. And I would go back. They would take me back at least once a year, every year. And I just kind of fell in love with it. And I think by the time I was, like, 11 or 12, I kind of began to realize, you know, people actually made this stuff that was going on. Uh And I kind of took it upon myself to kind of look for who these people were and at the time you know it was kind of really before the internet the internet wasn't a thing yet for everybody so I had to go to the library old-fashioned and look up books about it and this kind of ties into the Rolly thing too I took out a lot of books and then I also found a VHS tape of the wonderful world of uh, color uh, that Walt Disney was hosting it wasn't like an official release somebody had clearly had like videotaped it on their VCR off the Disney Channel and it got into the library circulation and I was watching it and it was like Julie Ream the Disneyland ambassador right. and at, you know halfway through the episode they were talking about the Haunted Mansion and Rolly showed up and that was my first exposure to him too and I was just like totally enthralled with the Museum of the Weird Models that he was pretending to work on and everything and from that point on I was just totally into Disney I like I need to know everything about how stuff was made who made these stuff why these people made this stuff who Walt actually was, and it just grew into this full-blown obsession, and uh, it's been a part of my life ever since. I mean, I can't complain. It's been great. I, it's so big because I moved to Disneyland. You know, that's how big of a part of my life it is. Uh-huh. It is. But uh, I mean, it's been fantastic. I, I love it. I love everything about it. <laughs> so you were living in Orlando before here, right? No, or no. Near? I was actually living in New Jersey. New I, Jersey. I didn't. I didn't live in Orlando or Florida whatsoever. Uh, so we would take like a yearly trek down to Orlando. Sometimes we would drive. Uh, sometimes we would fly. When I was seven, my grandparents actually took me here, and I have no recollection of that whatsoever. <laughs> uh, I have. I found a couple of photographs of me like on the storybook canal boats. Um, 
there are other places too, but like I literally do not remember coming here until I was working on the book with Rolly, and it was like my first time in 20 years, and it was just like totally insane. People are fighting me. I'm sorry. This <laughs> happens all the time. So clearly, I'm all sitting here with someone famous. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that happens a lot, which is totally cool. I mean, it's cool to like just have a small part of the Disney community, and like you know. We do a podcast every week. That's our claim to fame. But it's still cool to like have fans like come up to you in the park like that and like, uh-huh. oh my god, it's so nice to meet you. Can I take a picture? Uh, weirds out uh, Martina a lot, um, but I think it's really, really, and it's sweet because these are the people that listen to us every week, and you know they they read the books, they listen to the audio CDs. So it's really cool to to interact with them, and they're always like super, super sweet. I love uh-huh. them. That is very cool. <laughs> But the other one was my buddy Steven. I actually knew who was going to be here today. Oh, okay. Anyway, so he was not a, a random fan. <laughs> <laughs> he said he was here with his parents, and I texted him this morning. I said, hey, I'll come say hi afterward. Gotcha. So anyway, Disneyland, first visit was okay, seven, so I was, I don't remember I was it. seven, don't remember a thing about it. And then when I came here, when I was working on Rolly's uh, book, uh, it... I was like kind of remembering things I was going as I was going along, but I, I specifically remember going into the Enchanted Tiki Room, which I had not seen in that version in like 10, 15 years, because the one at Walt Disney World uh, was under new management, right. which was terrible. Right. So I remember coming out of the Enchanted Tiki Room here and bawling and calling my grandmother because that was always like the attraction her and I would like go in together. It was like our little special place. Uh-huh. And it, it just made me so emotional. So like 27 year old dude coming out of the Enchanted Tiki Room by himself, crying his eyes out, <laughs> talking to his grandmother. I mean, I'm sure it was quite a sight for some people, <laughs> but uh, it, it, that, that was my most vivid memory that like it actually came back to me then of Disneyland. Yeah. But now I, cre- I get to create new ones all the time. Right. You know, that just sounds so Disney to yes. me. Like such a Disneyland is. thing is something like that happening. And it's, it's, I don't, I'm sure like every Disney fan has a kind of memory like that, but that is like particularly memorable to me. Yeah. Uh, I, I will never forget that. Sure. I'm sure everybody around me will never forget that either. But Remember that weird be- guy? Yeah. Man, who's that weirdo Jeff? <laughs> Here's a sticker from Communicard. Yeah. <laughs> Don't tell anyone about the fact I was crying. Here's a sticker. This is your hush money. Right. <laughs> like, I'm cheap. I can be bought. <laughs> so when you decided to move to near a Disney park, is that and Raleigh being out here the reason you decided on Disneyland and not Orlando? Or? Uh... Yeah, it was a lot of factors, actually. So we came out here in early January of 2013, I think it was, uh, for the book tour for Kind of a Cute Story. Right. And it was a great week. We did a bunch of signings. It was so much fun. Again, my first time back here in, like, 20 years. And we got on the airplane, and we were flying into Baltimore, uh, back east, and it was snowing. Uh, It was freezing. There were, like, icicles were forming on the window as we were landing, and I was like, I can't do this anymore. I cannot live on the East Coast any longer. And then not too long after that, a couple months later, was Hurricane Sandy in... Uh, uh, oh, no, Sandy was before that. Um, and that was a total nightmare because I live right along the shore in New Jersey. So we didn't have power for like a week and a half. I mean, and the devastation everywhere was horrible. Uh-huh. So I had always wanted to move out to California just because uh, before Disney, my love was movies as well. I still do movie stuff. So I wanted to be here for the movie-making capital of the world also. Right. So after those two things combined, I was like, we need to move to California. I, I am, I'm done with Jersey. I love it, but I need to get out now. So we packed all our things, got in a car, and we drove to California. It took like five days, and it was fantastic. Uh, and we've been here a year and a half now. And the best decision I ever made. And, of course, Rolly being here definitely helps. I uh, didn't want to move to Orlando because it's way too hot there, uh-huh. especially during the winter. I can't do, like, the 95-degree uh, Christmas days. Uh, here we got the nice moderate temperature. Very, very nice. I can wear shorts all year round, really, if I want to. <laughs> right. Though I have acclimatized now. I noticed the other day, I was like, oh, man, it's it's cold, and I put on a jacket, and it was, like, 80 degrees outside. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's pretty cool. I like it. Nice. Now, speaking of Rolly... Uh, you kind of went from being a fan, from watching him on those shows and everything, to actually meeting him, to now basically being like family yeah. to him, <laughs> um, and you know, co-authoring his autobiography and everything like that. So how did that happen? So, before I came into the picture, he actually released kind of like we're doing now. He did a walking tour of Disneyland, where he right. walked through Disneyland and he talked about the things that he worked on. 
and he they released it on CD. Him and the guy he that he worked with, and I bought it immediately. And I thought it was great because I always, again, because of watching him from that show when I was a kid, I had this obsession with him. So when I saw he did this, I was like, I need to buy it. So I was writing for a Disney website at the time, and I emailed him, and I was I asked if I can interview him to help, kind of like help promote it. Right. So we, you know, it was supposed to be like a half hour conversation. I set up like this mini recording studio in, in my fiance's closet. She had like a big walk-in closet at the time, so I was in there, and it was supposed to be a half hour conversation, and we wound up talking for like two and a half hours. And it was incredible to talk to this guy that I have, you know, admired for my entire life. So after that, the interview was over, and then that was it. I thought I would never hear anything again. Uh-huh. Uh, and then we just kind of kept in contact. And then, you know, as time went on, he was telling me that he's been trying to write this book for years, and everybody he's worked with, uh, it didn't really pan out. So eventually, he asked if I would like to help him. So of course, I'm like, yes. I'm like, you don't even have to ask me. Right. Um, and then you know, he was like, well. It was going to be hard because I lived in New Jersey and he lived here and how would we get together? I was like, I'll fly out there. Like, there was no question. Like, before he finished the statement, I'm like, I'll fly out there as soon as you want me to. I don't even care. And that's what we did. I came out here. I spent a week with him and uh, his now wife, Marie. And they were so nice and welcoming. You know, they let me stay with them in their home. Uh, and we just talked, essentially, for weeks, like a week straight. And uh, that is how the book came about. And... Just, I mean, again, we, we've just become close after that, and he is like family now. I mean, they are like my... They call themselves my adoptive grandparents, nice. which is like a Disney nerd dream come true, to be honest <laughs> with you. I I couldn't be happier. And now, you know, it's kind of weird, because at one point, like, I was that fan that was freaking out, going, oh, my God, it's Rolly Crumb. Oh, oh, geez, this is great. And now when I see other people do that, I'm always like, Rolly, that was me, like, four years ago. Do you remember that? This is so weird. But it, it's, it's, it's really cool to see that other people have the same reaction that I had, you know, uh-huh. meeting him for the first time and just spending time with him because he's such an interesting guy. He led such an amazing life. Even outside of his Disney stuff, he's done so many amazing things. And uh, I'm, I'm just really happy I got to be the one to help him tell that story. Yeah. Was there a point as you were working on that that either one of you was like, you know what, yeah, this is really going to work? Because he must have been at least a little hesitant at first. He he was hesitant. And, you know, I think I was so over the moon about being there and being able to spend time with him and seeing all his Disney stuff that I didn't really care if anyone else ever heard this or saw this stuff. Because uh-huh. for me, I, it, was great. it was just great for me to hear this information because I wanted to know it. Mm-hmm. But I think when I went home at the end of the week... And I actually looked at, like, every all the audio I recorded, everything I wrote down. I mean, I had, like, almost 100 hours of audio, just of him and I chatting. Wow. Um, and I was going through some of it, and I think it was, like, going through halfway. I was like, his story is incredible. Like, people are going to love reading this. And that was when we made the conscious decision to not make it a, you know, Rolly Crump was born here at this time, and then he went on to do this. Because, to me, those books, yeah, they're good. But he has such a distinct personality and a way of speaking that we wanted that to come across. And I think once we made that decision, that's when it clicked, like, people are going to love this. Because it's not me telling Rolly's story, it's Rolly telling Rolly's story. And that's what people want to hear, because Mm. it's very, very distinctive. And I think that's what really makes the book work a lot, over some of the other, like, biographies of people out there. Right. Not just Disney biographies, (laughs) but biographies in general. general, Granted, I'm biased, however... (laughs) I really do feel that that is the case. Uh-huh. <laughs> so now you've, you know, you've gotten so close to him, and I know that you've been introduced to and met a bunch of other Disney you know, celebrities and you know, legends and things like that, but is there anybody that you still kind of have that reaction when you meet them or that you would if you met them? You know, at this point, I don't know. I don't want to say I'm jaded because that seems, it seems like a really mean thing to say, but in a way I am jaded because, you know, because of, rolling and doing the podcast we have met so many amazing people that uh-huh. I grew up admiring yeah. that now the people especially the people that live here I think because I interact with them so often it's kind of like not a big deal to me even anymore even though it really is uh-huh. um, but they're like friends now as opposed to just be, being that weird fan that like is totally obsessed with the work that they did their entire life right so I don't I don't know if there would be anyone like that maybe like you know, if Walt was still alive, obviously that would be a big one. Yeah. Uh, and, and Roy Disney too. I mean, mm-hmm. that that would be huge. But man, I don't, I don't know if there's anyone else. I would, I would kind of freak out over like that anymore. Did you get to meet Diane ever? I did actually. We met Diane once uh, when we had a talk at the Walt Disney Family Museum. Uh-huh. Uh, Rolly and I, 
and she barely comes to those talks uh, that the museum told me. And her and Ron Miller made a point to come to this one. And they had lunch with us before the presentation. And she was the sweetest woman. And he was, like, the nicest guy, I like, ever. They were super, super nice. She was amazing. Uh, and it was really interesting to kind of, like, sit back and watch her and Rolly talk about her father. Because, obviously, she saw him as the daughter. And he saw him as a boss slash friend. So for them to trade stories back and forth about the same guy was just, like... I should be recording this because, like, people want to hear this stuff too. But it, it was, she was an unbelievable woman, and uh, I know when she passed. Like, granted, her and Rolly didn't have a lot of interaction when he was working there, uh-huh. but he knew the impact that she had on Walt's life. And you know, they met each other a handful of times, but he was like super bummed out about her passing. He was very, very upset by. It. I mean, we all were because I mean, she's like the last remaining link. Up to the Disney family, right? Um, but she was an amazing woman. She she was super incredible. Wow. Yeah, I, I am disappointed that I didn't get to meet her. Yeah. Of course, there's a bunch of people I didn't get to meet. Yes. So, <laughs> you know, if we think back on all, it's great that we have all these people now that we get to interact with or to read about or hear from or whatever. But if you think back about all the people that we didn't get, to, yes. I mean, there's tons of people. I mean, we talk about Mark Davis. Like, uh-huh. I never, I would have loved to have met Mark Davis. I mean, there's some people that have met him. You know, just before he passed uh, at signings and stuff, and I'm I'm very jealous of them. Uh, Wethel Rogers is another one I would have loved to have met. I mean, there's so many Disney legends and luminaries that I, I guess that should be my answer to the question you asked me before that that I would totally freak out over just because I am so obsessed with their work, like uh-huh. stuff that I grew up loving and you know admired as I got older. Um, I'm really thankful for the internet now that lets these people into our lives and makes them much more accessible uh, and I kind of wish we had that you know a couple years before it came to be a big thing so we can have access to those people too but I'm super thankful for the people that we have access to now and how open they are with sharing their stories with us right yeah I, I imagine it's very un- kind of odd for them that there's all these people who suddenly care about these things that they did 30 40 years yeah. ago that they were just you know they were doing their job yeah. and they were I'm sure proud of it but I probably didn't think that three decades later people would be wanting to It'd talk to them about it. It'd be such a huge thing it. still, yeah. yeah. I mean, you basically said what Rolly always says. He's always still surprised. Like, whenever we do a signing or he meets people, he's always surprised that people are so into his work. Like, they're, like, crazy obsessed about it. Like, I was, too. I mean, I still right. am. But then they'll walk away and he goes, I did that 40 years ago and I only did it because it was a job. Like, it's amazing to see the lasting effect that something so simple has over all these people. Perfect example... Looking at it right now, the small work facade. It was right. a job for him. To him, it was a little more uh, of a job because he got to work with Mary Blair, mm-hmm. you know, like one of his favorite idols. But it was still a job, and it was something that you know he just did because he got paid for it. But now it's like an iconic structure of all of the Disney theme parks, um, and it's become this huge thing. And he still he can't get over that. He, yeah. he absolutely cannot get over that. Yeah, and I do remember him telling me that that's actually his favorite thing. Yes, that he worked on. It's the thing he's been kind of the most proud of. But I also remember a story that he told me, which I'm sure you've heard a half a dozen times or more, about, and I don't remember who he was talking to, but uh, the person was talking about how they were kind of disappointed that Walt never really complimented them for anything. And he said, you know what my compliment is? I get a paycheck with a signature on it. (laughs) That's all the praise I need right there. such a rolly thing to say. (laughs) Yeah, he would always say, like, you know, that'll do or, or something like that. Right. And, you know, he didn't really say, you know, great job. But I, I think a lot of it for Rolly was just being able to create, be able to be, create these things, these crazy things that he came up with in his head and someone actually giving him money to actually create them. I think that was his favorite part of all that stuff. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you're right, yeah. <laughs> so when you met Rolly for the first time and you kind of really got to have that interaction, was he like you thought he would be? Uh, yeah. Almost, almost exactly like I thought he was going to be. Very, uh, I don't want to say larger than life, but he kind of, he, he presents himself as this very humble guy who just happened to do these amazing things. So uh, he, he kind of reminded me of my grandfather in a lot of ways. Uh-huh. Uh, and, but, I mean, he definitely did not disappoint. And, it, and you know, it's amazing because, in, you know, through the course of our conversations, learning about his life and everything... Obviously, I had known about all the Disney stuff. I knew about uh, Berry Tales on Knott's, Knott's Berry Farm. Mm-hmm. But, like, he would casually offhand mention other stuff he, he would done. 
I'd be like, oh, time out. Let's go back and talk about that. that. I think that was the only, like, really surprising thing to me about him, that he had done all these things that I had no idea about, but they were still equally as amazing as his Disney work. Uh-huh. So it was cool. <laughs> <laughs> of the non-Disney stuff that he worked on, what was the thing that you kind of were most interested to learn about or most that was most intriguing? Uh, I think of the stuff I knew beforehand would be Berry Tales, okay. even though I had never gone on it uh, at Knott's Berry Farm. But I, I think, like, the work that he did with uh, Jacques Cousteau for the Ocean Centers, which mm. I had no idea about until he started telling me about it, and, you know, the fact that he built this kind of living show throne room thing for the Sultan of Oman. Uh, like, he he was like the Indiana Jones of the theme park world, in my mind, <laughs> because he was going to do these amazing things and it was, like, no big deal to him. Like, yeah, sure, I'm hanging out with Jacques Cousteau on his boat, and we're on the Calypso, and we're, you know, traveling in these exotic places. But to him, it was just, like, just a job. Yep. Not that big of a deal. But uh, th- that's the kind of stuff that just kind of blew my mind. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, people would kill for that kind of opportunity. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we've been talking quite a bit about the book, and you're working on helping him write it and everything like that so in case someone hasn't picked the book up yet uh, which they're going to have to go and maybe they can get a combined shipping offer or something <laughs> so they can get that and the Main Street Windows book <laughs> um, although they really should have picked the book up from the Rolly Crump interview they that should I did. have yeah but, you know, what are you guys waiting for that's right maybe they're just coming in maybe they haven't heard it yet so we'll, we'll cut you some slack for to now. be fair I have a very large to be read pile so it's very possible they have the same thing as well so I'll, I'll cut them some slack okay <laughs> so you're off the hook two different ways <laughs> But for anyone who hasn't picked it up yet, tell us about the book. So the book is essentially a Rolly talking about his life, uh, you know, from when he was born up until, you know, when we we wrote the book two years ago. And it not only details, you know, his work for, granted a large portion of the book is about his work for Disney. Most of the chapters are broken into, you know, it's a small world or the world's fair or the haunted mansion. But he also talks about, like, you know, how he got into artwork when he was a kid, uh, what he did in high school how he created this, like, what he calls the worst portfolio ever, and that's how he got hired at Disney, which is the legions beyond any artwork that I could have possibly done. <laughs> right. And then, you know, he talks about both times when he left Disney due to, you know, creative differences uh, after Walt had passed away, and then how he went on to work for other theme parks and other, like, side businesses he came up with. So it's, it's this huge telling about his life. Uh, I, I don't want to say start to finish because he's not finished yet, obviously. He's still got a lot more to go. Start to present? Start to present. I'll go with that. That's perfect. <laughs> but it's it's really great to see his variety of like the different types of artwork. Because one of the big things we wanted to do, aside from tell it in his voice, was showcase all the work that he's done. So it's a very colorful, very uh, filled with all his artwork book. To, so people get a sense of his style and what he did. And I, I think I, I'm kind of most proud of, of that as well, so people can kind of see his work for themselves, not just, like, hear, read him talk about it, but they can see, oh, this is what he meant when he was talking about, you know, the Day of the Dead stuff, or right. when, when he designed the Small World trash cans. So, uh, a really visual telling of, of, his, of his life. That's essentially what the book is. Okay. Did you have any trouble uh, getting any Disney artwork permissions? Uh, yes, which is why we didn't use any Disney-owned artwork. Okay. Um, thankfully, Rolly had the foresight throughout his life to collect all this stuff, like, and keep, you know, his own versions of stuff, because uh-huh. uh, he knew that uh, he wanted to just have it for himself one day, just as a showcase for his own work. So, when it came time to actually select pictures and stuff, you know, we did go through, going through the archives and talking to legal and everything. And it got to a point where it was going to be too cost prohibitive to actually use Disney-owned images. Uh-huh. And it was, Rolly was like, you know, I have all this stuff in my personal collection that is not Disney copyrighted, so and we can obviously use that. So he had, like, redrawn a lot of the Museum of the Weird stuff from the original sketches when he was working there. So, it, like, there's differences between, the like, the actual Disney-owned uh, drawings and what, the embellishes that he bought on his own personal drawings, uh-huh. which made it obviously better for us because that meant we can use it that way. Right. Um, so, uh, thankfully, he thought about this stuff, you know, 40 years ago, you know, collecting it. And uh, I-, I was really thankful for that because it makes for a much more interesting book when all the photos came from his collection. Right. There was like four or five that we actually got donated from other people. There was stuff in the World's Fair that somebody donated. Uh, there was photos of Mr. Toad's Wild Ride in 
uh, Florida that somebody had donated because Rolly was basically in charge of the design of that ride. Mm-hmm. But that was like the only attraction he worked on that he had nothing for. So thankfully, somebody had some old home photographs that looked great, and they let us use it for the book. And you know, Rolly sent him a bunch of stuff as a thank you as well. Um, but yeah, it, it, it was cool that he had all that stuff on hand for us to use and just kind of pick and choose from, which was an adventure all on its own because I mean, there's probably like maybe 300 photographs in that book and we had to choose from maybe 4,000 photographs that he has (laughs) so it was a lot of picking and choosing of you know what he had wow but as a Disney nerd it was awesome to go through all that stuff and go this is great I just want to see it for myself can I take a picture for myself I'm not going to show anyone I just want it for myself (laughs) right it was was really neat to have that experience yeah (laughs) and you had mentioned earlier 100 hours worth of audio from that first week of interview so nice I assume you went back and did more recording yes. for that first version of the book. So how many hours did you end up with, you know? To be honest with you, I, I can't even tell you. I have it on a hard drive somewhere. And it got to the point where I didn't even want to see the number of hours that I was working <laughs> on it for. So I just kind of followed away, and, and that's it. But it's funny, because every time I would tell people, like, we have X amount of hours of audio of Rolly and I talking. And they're like, well, we want to hear that, too. And, you know, and I would go back and I would listen to it. And it wasn't the best sounding, because, I mean, we're sitting in his backyard, I mean, there was cars going by, but that's kind of how the idea for doing the more cute story CDs came about, because not only is the book great because it's in his voice, but it's also great to hear him actually telling these stories, Yeah. and he would, like, after the book came out, he would tell me more and more stuff that wasn't in the book, and I was like, why did we not include that? What are, what are we doing? Let's go back. So that, that was those two kind of factors of people wanting to hear him actually talk about it and him having more stories was how the More Cute Story series came about, which, uh, honestly, I kind of like better than the book because it, you're getting to hear him talk, and uh, it's less work for me because <laughs> I, <laughs> I just have to record them and edit it down, and then we're good. Uh-huh. So do you do all the editing on those? Uh, I do the initial pass. Like, I, okay. you know, we go to his house, we set up, like, a mini recording studio in his living room, I record him, you know, I prompt him for the stories... And then when it's done, I go back and I edit it down to, you know, a, a manageable size. And I'll send it off to uh, Bamboo Forest Publishing, who, still, who publishes those. And uh, Leonard Kinsey, he will edit it down a little bit more and he'll add the music and he'll, you know, do all the effects and everything just to make it sound better. All the stuff that I can't do. Uh-huh. He'll make it sound, like, pristine. And, uh, and that's how that comes about. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, how did you take the number of hours that we're not going to think about <laughs> of audio and you know kind of compile that down into a manageable length book it took a very long time uh, in the afterward in the book I talked about it a little bit how when Rolly tells a story he starts at point A he'll eventually get to point B but he makes 40 detours <laughs> in between the two so when I was you know listening to the audio and I was transcribing it just so I had it written down I was realizing it was going to be a massive task to kind of make the, the stories go in a linear fashion because he'll start talking about Disneyland in 1955 then he'll go to 1972 and then 1983 then back to 1955 so I was like this is a huge monumental task for me to do so when I actually had it transcribed I would kind of piecemeal like okay this stuff took place in this time period I'll throw it all in this document this stuff took all in this time period I'll put it in this document um, so it, it's that, I think that was the longest part to actually get that stuff in chronological order and then it was the process of how do I make it sound, uh, go go in, you know, a flow where it makes sense. Uh-huh. Um, and, and, I mean, that, it took forever. And there were points where I was really discouraged because I was always like, how am I going to make this work? It just doesn't sound right. It sounds really weird. But then I would listen to more audio that I had forgot about, and that was what kept me going. I'm like, nope, this is a great story. Why don't I get it out there? Let me keep going. That's exactly what I was just going to ask, if there was any point where you just got so frustrated or it got so tedious that you was like, you know what, I'm so glad I got to hear these and I don't want to do this yes. anymore. There was a point around probably hour 90 of audio that I was transcribing and I was looking at like what I had left and then the further conversations we had over the phone that I had recorded and I was like, I do not have enough time between a full-time job and like my life to actually transcribe this stuff. So I actually, I hired an outside transcription service to do like the last 15 hours of audio for me because mm-hmm. I knew... Like that was my that was my roadblock. Like I hit that that point, and I was like, I can't do this anymore. I need some help. Uh-huh. And thankfully, they were you know they were cheap. You know, it was like sixty bucks an hour, so it really didn't cost me that much. Yeah, and it was totally worthwhile for me because it saved me the time. And 
if it wasn't for that, I, it, the book probably would have taken a little bit longer to get out. But uh, man, am I am I glad for services like that? <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. Um, was there anything as you were hearing these stories that even either on the initial pass, as you were first hearing them, or as you were transcribing, that you thought we just we can't put that in the book? Yes, <laughs> uh, absolutely. Uh, we have what we like to call the uh, the secret file. And that is stories that he's told me uh, in confidence, and he's made me swear to not ever tell anyone any of them or release them in any way for like 10 years after he had passed on. So he's like, they're not that they're, you know, they're not bad-mouthing anyone. Uh-huh. They're not anything like bad. It's just stories that are not family-friendly. You know, there are some parts of the book that are not, they're not meant for kids, obviously, but there are some things in there that he feels like they sh- it should not be out there until he no longer has any say in the matter. Um, okay. So at some point in the future, there'll be stories that will come out. That are, I mean, they're great stories, too. They're hilarious. And, you know, there's some great stories about Walt. There's great stories about people that he's worked with. Uh, but again, nothing really bad or mean or anything, but it's just stuff he just doesn't want out there until much later on. So yes, there are some <laughs> things that we did not put in the book actively and did not put on the CDs because of that. There's actually some stuff sometimes. He'll tell a story on the CD and... Uh, you know, a week later, he'll email me. He goes, you know, I don't really think I want that one on there, just in case. We'll save that for later on. And, you know, we'll take it out, and, you know, it is what it is. I don't, I don't mind. That's fine. I mean, it's just great to get these other stories out there that people don't miss these stories they're not hearing yet because they don't know they exist. Right. They do now, but <laughs> they'll heal them eventually. <laughs> right. Hopefully and in the far-flung future. Exactly. <laughs> and even at that point, you've gone on doing a lot of other things, and all that's in the past, but... Ten years later, you're going to come back and release that, yes. right? Yeah, I will release that stuff at some point. To be honest with you, I totally forgot about that stuff, too. Just <laughs> ask me that question. So I will remember to do that in the far, far future. Okay. Granted, Rolly's got a lot of years left, so yeah. not even thinking about anything like that now. Right. But eventually, that stuff will get out there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and you talked about doing the audio CDs. And, uh, they're also available as MP3 downloads, Yes, right? yeah. You can get them okay. in actual audio uh, CD format, which... I'm surprised people still do anymore, or you can just buy them as MP3s from like iTunes and Amazon and stuff. I haven't got any of the CDs, so mm-hmm. do they have any kind of liner notes or anything, or is it basically uh, just a CD? It's basically like a CD sleeve. It's not even like a CD case. Is okay. it like it's like a, a sleeve that it comes out of? So there's no liner notes or anything whatsoever. Uh, I always tell people if you're like a hardcore Disney nerd collector, yeah, I guess it makes sense to buy the CD because in case you ever met Rolly, he can sign them. But other than that, I mean, just buy the MP3s because I mean. You want the stories that he's telling. You're not buying it for that physical thing. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> so, and you've got five of There's them? There's five of them now, yeah. Okay. Uh, we just released the fifth one about Animators and Imagineers Part 2. So, I mean, they're all new stories that are not in the book. There's very, very little crossover because he's got so many stuff. But uh, this last one, we did Volume 2 was uh, Animators and Ima- Imagineers, people that he worked with. Mm-hmm. And he had this long list that he originally wrote. And when we were recording... I was like, you know, we got halfway through the list. I'm like, we're already at like an hour and 15 minutes. Like, that's that's a CD. We can't record anymore. So we always knew we were going to come back and do the second half of the list. Uh-huh. So after we did two other CDs, we were like, okay, maybe now it's time to talk about some of the more famous people that you worked with, like, you know, Mary Blair and Dick Nunes and stuff like that, and we'll put that on this second CD. Because people always said that the second CD was their favorite. Uh, so we knew we always had we had to do that second half of the list eventually, and right. I'm glad we did. I mean, people they love the CDs. I love hearing Rolly talk about this stuff. I love hearing Rolly talk about this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> right. Do you have any more in the works? Yes. Okay. Uh, we we are still planning on doing one based around Epcot. Uh, we want to do one based around Knott's Berry Tales, and there's a, another one as well that I do not remember. <laughs> And that's very unusual. I forget what that one is. But there is at least three more that we'd like to do at some point. And we will. We definitely plan on doing them. And we just, you know, it's hard because our schedules are, like, really opposite. Uh And I feel like every time we see each other, it's always, like, work, work, work. Right. And we're always doing something. And it's actually great because, actually, tomorrow uh, we're just going to have lunch. For, like, the first time in months that we're just getting together just to, like, kind of hang out. Uh uh, Which I I love. So... uh, We'll, we'll get to recording of the CDs eventually. Okay. Uh, we'll, we'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> Are there any the, like any topics or areas that you want to do CDs about that you guys haven't planned out doing yet? Uh, none that we haven't planned out, no. I think uh, what I'm most excited for is Epcot, because mm-hmm. growing up, that was my favorite park as a kid. And, 
the Epcot section in the book is one of my favorites just because I loved all that stuff. I mean, uh-huh. he was behind a lot of the stuff I really... I, like, I loved the land, and he was, you know, behind a lot of the stuff in the land when it opened. So I'm super psyched to uh, hear a little bit more about it. And he apparently has, like, master plans that he drew for Epcot as a whole. I mean, we talked about it in the past, but I never actually saw them, and he recently found them again. So I'm oh. super excited. Not that people are going to be able to see them, but I get to see them while he's talking about them. So I'm right. super excited about that. <laughs> and that might help guide some of the conversation, yes, too. Yes, exactly. Like, we haven't talked about this area over yeah, here. Yeah, let's talk about this little island right here. What, is, what was that supposed to be? Uh-huh. I have a feeling that's going to probably end up being a two-part one also. Uh, it very well might be. Uh, the chapter's a little short in the book because for some reason at the time, he didn't remember a lot of it. Mm. But the more we talked about it, the more he would remember. So yeah. hopefully we get some really good Epcot stories yeah. out of it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you need to do at least two more beyond what you have planned because that'll give you a nice even ten. That's you know, that is a fair kind point. Of a strange number. And then we can then we get a box set going there when we go. have ten together. Yep. And then you can do the deluxe collector box set with the ten and the book. Yes. I like your business sense. See? I like what I'm hearing right now. <laughs> so be looking for that sometime <laughs> in, in the future. Twenty twenty seven. Right. At some point. <laughs> uh, now. You went on from working on his book to work on your own. Yes. Did working on his book help kind of provide any kind of impetus to do yours, or did it kind of make you shy away from it for a while? I imagine working on one and the the massive amount of work involved. I, I could almost see that being enough to say, you know, I've done one. I'm good. Thanks. You know, it, it's funny that you say that because when the book was done, I mean, if we edited it and it went, like I had the physical copy in my hand. Uh-huh. I was super psyched about it. I was ready to come out, and I was like, I'm but I'm ready for something else now. And then the release date came, and then we did like all this promotion for it. And then that was when I was like, okay, I need to take a break because <laughs> I had tired myself out over this entire thing. Uh-huh. So I think I went probably three months with not doing anything, just doing the podcast, and that was it. And then I was like, okay, I'm bored. I need to do something else now. Because I'm the perpetual project person. I do like so many, I'm working on so many different projects at once, not just Disney stuff, but just like stuff in, in general. Um, so I get bored very easily unless I'm working on stuff all the time. Like, I, I don't have free time because I always like to keep busy with stuff. Uh-huh. So the next project that I was going to do was actually going to be with George Taylor, my co-host on Kuno for Weekly. Mm-hmm. We've been working on the Five-Legged Goat Guide to Walt Disney World and Disneyland for a while now. Okay. Um, which is, you know, for those who have not listened to Kuno for Weekly, the Five-Legged Goat is like the hidden tributes uh, that are in that are hidden in the parks, named but after the Mary named Blair after mural Mary Blair's, uh, yeah, her five legged goat in the mural of contemporary. Yeah. Um, so we, I mean, that's such a huge, massive undertaking, and we hit some snags along the way. And so while I was kind of on hold, I was like, okay, wh- what's something else that I can work on that I've always been interested in? Mm. And you know, I was going through my Disney books just to make sure I, there was no crossover. And I remember thinking, you know, the windows on Main Street are such a great topic. And there's never been one comprehensive list about all of them before. Mm -hmm. Uh, Disney released a book like four years ago about the windows. It was called Windows on Main Street. And it only included probably like 50 windows from both Disneyland and Walt Disney World. And Walt Disney World alone has like 150 windows. So it was was a very barely scratching the surface. Uh So I was like, okay, so what if I actually did not just all the windows here but all the windows in all the Magic Kingdom parks in the entire world. So I actually emailed the guy who wrote that original book okay. just to get his blessing. I'm like, look, I like your book a lot. Uh, it's great. I want to do one about all the windows. And he actually told me that, you know, he did write, wanted to write more, but it was like kind of like this is what the company wanted, so that's what he did. So he was like, go right ahead. I want someone to write a book like that to get it out there. So I took that as my blessing to do it, and then I spent the next, you know, year and a half compiling all of it um here it was easier because i can literally just walk up and down main street and go okay this window is here this window's here and write it all down uh-huh. uh i had some pictures from previous years at walt disney world that i was able to reference but i actually had uh my buddy norm who was going for a trip and i had him literally walk up the street and take photos and back down the other way to take photos so and so i had them all in order and i had all of them which his photos are actually where it's used in the book okay and then i was thinking about the parks overseas and i'm like what am I going to do? I don't have any immediate plans to go there. It's super expensive. I don't have the money. Uh-huh. And thankfully, I was—I had friends that were happened to be going to these different parks at these various times. And I was like, can you do me a huge favor? Just take photos of the windows. You know, write, write them down if you have a chance. And they were, they were totally gracious enough to do it. I was very, very thankful that they did that for me. 
And a lot of the photos that you see in the book are actually their photos that they took while they were at Hong Kong Disneyland or in you know Tokyo Disneyland and Disneyland Paris. Actually, uh, Hugh, who, who edited the book, uh-huh. took uh, some of the photos for Disneyland Paris as well because he actually okay. he lives in England, but he goes to Disneyland Paris a lot. Sure. Um, so to me, it, it was kind of right place, right time that I had all these friends going to these parks that I hope to visit in the future, but I don't have the cash to do right now. <laughs> right. And, you know, I have a park right in my backyard, and I had a, you know, I, I did go to Walt Disney World in the process of writing this book, but I don't take very good photos. So, thankfully, my friend Norm took those great photos, too. And it just kind of all came together really nicely. Um, and, it, you know, it was interesting because the easiest parts were finding the people's names that were here in Walt Disney World. Because, I mean, a lot of them were names that we recognize. Yeah. The hardest stuff, names we're finding them were overseas because a lot of them are modern-day Imagineers. You know, they're not like the Tony Baxters that, you know, everybody knows now. But they're names that mean a lot, but not a lot of people know who they are. So it was oh. really interesting to research them and being able to, like, reach out to people who still work in the company or even people who had names on the windows. Like, I would find their contact information and I'd be like, hey, you know, I'm writing this book. Can you tell me a little bit about what you did? And, you know, they would graciously tell me. And then they're like, what else do you need? Like, I could tell you about some of my friends who have windows there, too. So I got this information from all these sources at once. And it was uh-huh. really a huge, huge undertaking. Like, I, my notes are massive on it. But I think it came together really well. I'm, like, super proud of this book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we, I was looking at it before we started recording, and it looks amazing. Yeah. And name to the contrary, it's not just the windows on Main Street in each of the parks, yes. right? Uh, there, I mean, there are a couple of windows that are hidden elsewhere in some of the parks, especially here at Disneyland. Mm-hmm. Um, there's two in Frontierland. There's uh, one in Toontown. Uh, there's one in Adventureland. And there are tribute win- windows as well. They're paying tribute uh-huh. to Imagineers, so I had to include those as well. Um, and it was amazing to me to find not, not just the, the tributes to the Imagineers, but tributes to other random things that okay. like you wouldn't even think of. Like, uh, there's stuff in Disneyland Paris that are paying tribute to American icons like Matt Brady, who is a Civil War photographer. There's a the M Brady Photo Studio uh, window in Disneyland Paris that's huh. like a tribute to him. And then there's the Nellie Bly Travel Agency uh, in Disneyland Paris. So it was really cool to see uh, American culture get their own kind of windows too yeah. over in, in Paris. Um, in addition to the the Imagineer tributes as well. Interesting. And then you also included the windows out here that aren't necessarily tributes to Imagineers or individuals but are just kind of the fictional ones, yeah. right? Yeah, so we have, uh, like, piano lessons upstairs, Ask for Sarah, or, uh, oh, man, I'm drawing a blank for some of the other ones. But there are a lot of windows that just kind of add to the atmosphere of Main Street and make it feel like a living, breathing place. So they're just as important to me as the Imagineer tributes because they do make Main Street unique. So, I, I you know, we have photos of all those as well. And, you know, if it does reference something, because some of them do, some of them do reference, uh-huh. like, a pop culture thing or just something random um, and some of them are just Imagineer tributes but I, it was definitely important to have them in there as well funny story though yeah. about a week after the book came out uh, Disneyland added two windows so I'm already outdated <laughs> thankfully they're not Imagineer tributes they're actually uh, it's over by the first aid station uh, there's one to uh, Dr. Sherwood who actually has a window in Disneyland Paris who, who was the first person to buy a, wall, a drawing from Walt uh, back in Marceline. Right. And then there's one to the... Uh, I forget the name of the lounge. It was the Make-A-Wish Lounge that was here. Uh-huh. Uh, and they renamed it something else, but the original name is on the window here. Uh, it's some kind of travel agency. I think it's like the Carefree Lounge or Carefree Travel Agency now here. But uh, yes. literally a week after the book came out, those <laughs> windows went up. I'm like, uh, so close, second edition. <laughs> right. I the, all, not the same thing. Something similar happened to me. Like... My book came out mid-November of last year, mm-hmm. and I have a section in there about Billy Hill and the Hillbillies. Yeah. And I think it was a week or two after mine came out that, that it was announced that they were leaving yeah. in January. Oh, man. <laughs> but it's in there for posterity now. That's, That's right. Now, to tell people, it's complete and accurate as of the date of publication. <laughs> That's what, you know what? We actually wrote in here, excuse me, the, the windows are accurate up to publication. Clearly that wasn't the case because the windows came out like a week before the book like was released. But we are up to date as much as we possibly could. Like I was adding stuff literally probably two weeks before it went to the press to get the proofs. So, I mean, it's as accurate as it possibly can be. Right. 
Yeah, and that's the downside of a book. Your yep. books are great, but they're snapshots of moments in yes. time. Yes, yes. So. so as of October 1st, 2014, the book is accurate. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take, and October 1st is a great date to have as a cutoff. Hey, I think so. October yeah. 1st is when Epcot opens, so yeah. I will take that day. There you go. <laughs> Uh, now, I know you get asked a lot which ones are your favorite windows. I think I even remember reading an article that was like your top five favorites yes, or yeah. something like that. Uh, so we're not going to go there for now. <laughs> uh, instead, what were some of the most surprising or fascinating ones? Uh, to me, there was one. Uh, actually, there was, there was two. One here was, was had a name on it. That brings us to the end of this week's show. A special thank you to Jeff Heimbuck for being my guest and to you for listening. Next week we finish the interview, talking more about his book, the theme parks, Communicore Weekly, and more. And you'll get a little bonus audio at the end, too. If you're currently doing something because of your love for Disney, you've written a book, created a website, or you're blogging, writing or performing music, art, podcasting, whatever it is, and you want to tell people about it and why it matters to you, then I want to hear from you. I also want to talk to and hear from people who have worked for Disney, in any capacity at all. And if you're a Disney guest of any Disney experience, and you've had an encounter or an interaction with a cast member that made some extra Disney magic, or you've had any special Disney experience you want to share, or give a compliment or a thank you for anything Disney's done, I'd love to hear from you too. For any of these, email me at podcast at storiesofthemagic.com or call the listener feedback line at 734-23-STORY and tell me about your experience. Subscribe to Stories of the Magic in iTunes, the Xbox Music Store, on the website, or you can hear Stories of the Magic while on the go with Stitcher Smart Radio. If you like the show, please rate and review Stories of the Magic in iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or wherever else you listen to the show and can rate it. And thank you to the four people who left reviews for the show in the last couple of weeks. Thanks to Ron from Jacksonville, Queen Bee Marion 1, J.A. Domer, and St. Bernard for your very kind comments and your five-star iTunes reviews. That was awesome. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, visit storiesofthemagic.com and leave a comment on the show notes for this or any episode. While you're there, check out the show notes for useful links from each episode, too. Like the podcast on Facebook at facebook.com slash stories of the magic. Follow the show on Twitter at twitter.com slash stories of magic and tweet out that you're listening. Pin it on Pinterest, plus one on Google+. Tell your friends about the show. Keep letting others know that you're listening so they can join in the magic too. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Stories of the Magic. There will be other days and other stories. And this tale continues next time. You've been listening to Stories of the Magic with Randy Crane. If you have feedback, want to share a story of your own, or even be a guest on the show, write to Randy at podcast at storiesofthemagic.com or call our listener feedback line, 734-23-STORY. And don't forget to visit the website, storiesofthemagic.com for show notes from this and every episode and to leave your comments. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, live your dreams and make the magic in your world.